Welcome to the Talking Immigration Podcast. Immigration is a complex issue. Most of us have strong emotions, but don't actually know the details of how immigration actually works. In this podcast, I interview immigration experts to teach us about the types of immigration, limits, costs, enforcement, and more. I'm Katarina, your host. Let's talk immigration. Hi, everyone. Today we are talking with Luis Rojo, a friend and immigration attorney based in Dallas, Texas. Thanks so much for doing this with us, Luis. Will you tell us about your experience working in immigration? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm an attorney, um, and I uh, dedicate myself exclusively to uh, immigration nationality law, and I've been doing this for 11 years now. So in our first episode, we discussed some immigration basics, things like who can come, who cannot legally immigrate to the United States, and we talked a bit about family immigration, but I really want this episode to be all about family immigration. Luis, will you describe for us what is family-based immigration? Uh, family-based uh, immigration is uh, basically a visa by request of a family member. Uh, and by visa, um, we're talking about a, a permanent residence. Uh, visas can be broken down into either a, a temporary visa, visa that's like, uh, you know, coming in uh, as a visitor, or you got a business purpose, or even like a long-term uh, employment situation. But those are all temporary, like they they're, don't allow you to live here forever. Um, the visa that is sponsored by a family is a forever visa. It's a permanent residence. So I'm assuming that family-based immigration is the most used type of visa. Is that correct? That's correct, uh, by far. Um, actually, I was looking at some uh, statistics here, just uh, some helpful ones from the USCIS, the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service, for the fiscal year of 2019. And I was looking at the amount of applications for uh, green cards that were applied that were granted by the service. Uh, and for family-based immigration, you have 338,000 approved and for employment-based, uh, 104,000. I'm just giving you the round number. Sure. Wow. So we see there. So definitely yeah. the most used. One exceeds the other, <laughs> yes. So let's start at the beginning. Who can petition for a visa under family-based immigration? What Can you walk us through, with as much detail as you can, the process and those costs associated with each process? Uh, sure, no problem. Uh, so we have the... Uh, the family as a nucleus being like the center of family reunification and who can petition who. Um, you have like the immediate relative family members who are given the top priority. These are like limitless visas. So they don't keep count of how many U.S. citizens are petitioning for their spouses. That is just limitless. Uh, so you have that. That's number one. You have your spouse. And then, of course, the children are also uh, able to be petitioned for. And brothers and sisters, that's a possibility, as well as parents. So these are all like uh, family members that can potentially be sponsored by a citizen or resident. Of course, there are restrictions, like a resident can petition for his parents and can petition for his siblings. Uh, but these are the ones that are included as far as you know, being able to sponsor a family member. If you're a U.S. citizen, the immediate family is your children. Does it matter if they are married or over 21? Does that make a difference? Yeah, this is a strictly defined. So if you're a U.S. citizen, you can petition for your spouse. You can petition for your children. And children has a definition. It's child under the age of 21. That's an immediate relative. So if you have a child and he happens to be uh, 22 before you even uh, petition, 
then that's it. He has to wait a little longer. He's bumped to a lower category. And then if you're a U.S. citizen, you can also petition for brothers and sisters or parents. But if you're not a U.S. citizen and you are a green card holder or have a residential visa instead, you can only petition for your spouse or your minor children. You can also uh, petition your uh, children over the uh, age of 21 if you're a U.S. resident or a green card holder. Um, it just takes uh, longer. So they're, they're bumped uh, like to a lower tier. Uh, but yes, correct. A resident holder cannot petition for his parents and cannot petition for his brother and, uh, and sister. He would have to become a citizen to be able to have that privilege. And something that I've been thinking about is how does this happen, the situation where an immediate family member would be a citizen, but the rest of their family is not? Like, Can you give me some examples of how that happens in the first place? Uh, sure. Like Some people like uh, equate green card to citizenship. Uh, so I think that's, uh, you know, if we're talking about like definitions that you're right off the get-go. That's the one that I'd like to clear up is for, you can't jump to citizenship that easily. Uh, most people have to pass through residency first. So the green card first and then apply for uh, U.S. citizenship. So, for example, you have a U.S. citizen uh, husband and he's petitioning for his wife uh, who is foreign born. Um, and also, she, what if she has uh, children from her previous marriage? You know, these are stepchildren and, you know, uh, they qualify under the same uh, category. So you have a situation where uh, you petition for the wife and the kids. The wife is able to uh, get residence, but then also has to wait three years to apply for uh, naturalization. So let's say the children. Uh, don't speak English. Let's say they just came in. They would have to wait then until they're, first of all, like 18, and then be able to speak the language for them to apply for naturalization. Even as her children? Even as, even as her children. Unless she naturalizes before they reach 18. So there's a lot of little rules here and there, but that's one of the situations where the mother would uh, go ahead of the children and uh, get naturalization, but if the children have already reached the age of 18, then they would have to wait uh, for themselves to be uh, eligible and test into naturalization. So apply on their own. So prior to being able to apply for naturalization, those children, how would those children have obtained residency? The most likely uh, scenario here is that the resident father, uh, stepfather, would uh, petition for them either directly or he can include them in the petition that he filed for his spouse. Now, uh, if he's going to file for them individually, uh, it's very important to know that um, for them to count as stepchildren, the marriage between him and the mother would have had to occur before the, uh, the kids turned 18. If that wife became a resident, she could then apply for her parents? Not yet. She would have to uh, then apply for naturalization have the citizenship, and then have that right to petition for her parents. Based on just how she became a citizen. Sure. Like, uh, so sh this all stemmed from one U.S. citizen petitioning for his spouse. And then when she gets the benefit of a green card, she waits, she applies for naturalization. And with that comes all the privileges. After that, she can apply for her parents, both of them, or as many siblings as she would happen to have. It's just about getting to that point. How would that happen for a 
green card holder to be able to petition for children? Sure. Um, so a resident uh, can petition his uh, his spouse, and he can petition his minor children, and he can petition uh, children that have already uh, reached the age of uh, 21. What he can't do is petition children that have been married. That marry. So let's see, he, uh, he petitions for a child. The child was you know maybe 17 at the time of the petition. That child decides to get married at 18. He destroys that category. If they don't go forward and finish the process and become a resident, then the petition, the initial request, is automatically terminated just by that uh, that marriage. So, is this what they mean? You hear in media that term "chain immigration." Is that is the idea behind that? That kind of once somebody becomes a resident or obtains naturalization, then they can then get other people to go through that process as well. Is that what that means? That's correct. Uh, this, uh, this family reunification process can last uh, decades. Uh, we have the, let's say you have the, the, or, the original petitioner, which was uh, one, uh, one U.S. citizen spouse, petitions that spouse. Uh, the wife becomes a citizen. She petitions for her parents. And what are those parents are able to get residents? Uh, and then they become citizens on their own. And then they petition for their siblings. So we have now several generations of people allowing uh, being made up with legal status in the U.S. based on just one single petition that originated everything. In our first episode, we talked a little bit about some of the wait times, which were way beyond what I had imagined. Can you review some of those wait times for us? So first we look at what's called the uh, visa bulletin. So this is a, uh, a schedule of who can get their green card at any given month and year. So I'm looking right now at the June 2020 visa bulletin, and it gives you a list of who is able to get their green card based on what category and also what country. So let's say uh, I'm from Mexico, which I am, and I'm petitioning for uh, my siblings. I know if I make a petition today, it's going to take about 22 years because I look at the category and it says they're allowing Mexican immigrants who are brothers or sisters of U.S. citizens who applied in 1998. That was 22 years ago. So that's my pro- my projection. Now, that's going to change if I'm from somewhere else. If I was born in El Salvador, uh, I see that it's, it's slightly better. Right now, they are giving green cards to brothers and sisters of U.S. citizens from El Salvador uh, who applied in 2006. So a lot better. What about if you were from, can you look from, I don't know, Vietnam? Sure, Vietnam. So Vietnam isn't not specified as one of the countries here that has like uh, super long wait times. Super long wait times is Mexico, Philippines, India, and mainland China. Uh, so you were saying, which one again? Vietnam. Vietnam. So Vietnam, sure, it would be a 2006. So the same, uh, same one that I used for El Salvador. Yeah, I mean, years. I mean it, it goes by and it happens like uh, people think like sometimes they get discouraged. Uh, I tell them, OK, you can petition your brothers, but it's going to be 13 years. I tell them 13 years is going to pass anyway. Not only that, if you had done it 13 years ago, they would be getting it now. So they kind of like uh, get a little bit of a perspective because people have used this. And so it does span decades. But the time does come. How about a citizen petitioning for a married child from three places, from Canada Italy and Afghanistan. So it's a citizen for a married child. Citizen for a child that's uh, already married. 
So it can be any age, but as long as they're, they're married, uh, they go into the third preference category. Uh, so for Canada, you're looking at two, March 15, 2008, as of this recording. So that's, uh, that's a wait Still time of years. about 12 years. Uh, it could be worse. Uh, Italy, same. And Afghanistan, also the same. So these countries are all within the same category. So it takes a long time for generations to be able to apply for other generations to be able to come and live here. I guess when people are using the term uh, chain migration, they're not doing it in like a, a very nice way. Like they're implying uh, a negative. Uh, so in their mind, maybe it's happening quicker than this. I think whenever you use the term, you're thinking that everybody can just apply for every uh, person within the family, including grandparents and aunts. And it just happens like in a quick chain. It doesn't. Would you talk a bit about the phrase anchor babies? What does that mean? Well, it's a sub uh, category of the chain uh, migration we're speaking about. Uh, anchor baby is a term, it's a political term. It's used uh, negatively uh, to imply that somebody can enter the U.S. unlawfully and have a child born here who's a citizen and then obtain either a secure uh, option to stay here legally immediately or later on. Is there a specific age that child would need to reach before they can petition for their parents or other family? Before a uh, child born here can petition for any alien parent, uh, he has to reach the age of 21. What about in case of a deportation? Does it matter that a parent would have a child that was born here? In that scenario, if uh, somebody's here unlawfully and uh, they encounter uh, immigration authorities and they're placed in removal proceedings, if they have children or just one child or a spouse, a resident or citizen or parent, uh, we can use that family member as a basis for a defense if they have accumulated you know, more than 10 years here and they don't have any disqualifying crimes. So the child does serve uh, that purpose also, even before the age of uh, 21. Is that automatic or is there some sort of qualifier that proves that the kid would have to be in severe distress or something? In court, we do have to uh, demonstrate that there would be an extreme and uh, unusual exceptional hardship to the child. Uh, so these are cases that are one at a very low percentage. You have to show this child has uh, maybe a medical condition that cannot be treated anywhere else but the United States. Uh, so it's nothing uh, secure. Uh, nothing anchor baby implies something that's very immediate and something that could allow someone who's here unlawfully to, to benefit. And we see that, you know, for one end, for the child to petition, it's 21 years. That's a long time. It's certainly not secure. Anything can happen in that time. And also, just because the child can petition, as we discussed, that parent can be subject to these inadmissibility factors that would make them ineligible anyway. So it's possible that somebody is here unlawfully and they're banking on their child turning 21 so he can petition. And at the end of that, finding that they, they wouldn't be able to qualify. The myth both serves as a as a tool for those uh, against immigration, but it's also a myth within the community that people think that it's possible that you know there's something at the end of that road. But that's not always the case. Not always the case. 
That wraps up part one of our discussion on family-based immigration. Luis and I continue to talk about marriage visas, why someone might be denied a visa, notarios, and costs of getting a family visa. We hope you'll enjoy part two. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Immigration. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing with family or friends and leaving a rating or review so more people can learn about this important issue. Have a great week, everyone, and let's keep talking immigration. Immigration.